We're in Genesis 6 again this morning. Go ahead and find your way over there. We're looking at what's called the Great Flood, or as it's sometimes called, the Deluge, uh, which comes from the Latin uh, diluvium, meaning flood. Uh, so if you've ever seen that phrase in academic works, the, the pre-diluvian folks, right? That's just people that lived before the flood. So now you are good for trivia night at some point. Now, before we get rolling in this properly, I do want to acknowledge a few things here. Uh, the first is this. Uh, if you go out and you're to, you know, look into ancient Near East culture, or even beyond that, you will find that there are more, more than 220 similar flood myths in the cultures around the world. That's a lot. The most famous of these uh, flood myths is the Babylonian story called the Epic of Gilgamesh. In this story, the, the gods are so annoyed at how noisy and loud the humans are, uh, right? They're, they're a lot like grumpy parents or a neighbor, right, that doesn't like the party going on next door or something like that. And so the gods, in their incredible annoyance at uh, humanity, decide, let's just send a flood. Let's just kill everyone, be done with people, and we'll have silence. Only one god, goes by the name of Inki, um, on the down low, right, warns this guy whose name is Utnapistem, who's probably not pronounced right. We'll just call him Tim. Uh, but he warns him. He kind of comes up. He's like, hey, man, um, there's a flood coming. And the only way you're going to escape this flood is if you get on this boat. And here's how you build it, right? So he gives him that. And so uh, this guy and his wife, they, they get on, the, on the, the boat. They survive the flood. And afterwards, the gods uh, are, are like, well, you know, what have we done? We've murdered everyone. And they have this incredible shame and regret over what they've done and all this death and destruction and and so they reward this, this man that we're calling Tim and, and his wife, and they reward him with immortality. You can live forever. Uh, there's other similarities that we find between these various flood myths, right? The, the boat lands on a mountain, right? A dove and a raven are sent out. Uh, and there's a few other things as you dig into it. And, and listen, I, I tell you this right off the bat because sometimes people hear about this or they discover and they, they, they read it somewhere about the existence of these, these common myths and it's just unraveled them. It's challenged their faith in ways that it really shouldn't, right? Because it, what it's done for some is it's led them to assume if there's all these stories, then the Noah story can't be right. It must be made up. However, the reality here is the fact that there are so many ancient civilizations that have a similar story, this actually suggests to us that the flood actually did occur. Right? It suggests to us, you know, that, that word of mouth, this story has spread as cultures spread right after the flood. Can I prove that it's true? Can I prove that this is the absolute true one? I can't. You know that, right? But, but we trust, we have faith <clears throat> that our Lord has preserved the true story of the historical flood for us in the words of our Bibles right here before us. Now, another bit that we should get out of the way here, right off the bay, wait, right off the bit, bit, right off the bat, bat, right? Words. Um, it says, God does not give us many of the details we want. As you read this, there's 100,000 different questions you come up with. Well, what about this? What about that, right? How did they handle all the feeding with just eight people, right? What did they do with all the poop on the boat, right? Was this every animal, or was it in the sense of species of animal, or is it genius of animal, or, or you know, other breakdowns like that? Are these adult animals or baby animals? Was, you know, um, what about freshwater fish? You ever wonder about that one? Where were the freshwater fish? Was there like a bubble of freshwater floating down there somewhere? Or do they have fish tanks on the tank? And, and, right, these are things. They're good questions. You can ask God in eternity about all these details. We've been putting together this list continually, right, of things I'm going to ask God eventually. Uh, but for now, the best you can do is actually have a lot of fun speculating on how these things might be without any certainty. 
Um, but I'll remind you right here at the beginning that God's aim in this revelation is not to convince you that it occurred. That's not the goal. It's to tell you something about humanity. It's to tell you something about God. It's to tell you something about sin and holiness. It's, it's to tell you something about the way God has been working in, in history for the redemption of his people. And finally, before we read, let me just ask you this. What do you picture here? And I ask because I think most of us picture what we've been given as pictures. And, I, and by that I mean something like the, the sermon image that I actually gave you this week, right? This adorable cartoon floating zoo, cute lions and smiling giraffes in it, right? That's the thing we put on nursery walls. It's the thing we find in children's Bibles. And, and that's appropriate. It's right. You probably don't want to put these other pictures in there. Um, but, you know, it, it, it's good, right? The story for Noah and his family actually does end well. But in reality, right, when you think about this whole story, just to get your mind thinking about this a little, little better, a little more accurately, this is a horrific story of God's judgment on humanity for sin. There is an incredible thread of hope, but it is also a dark tragedy. Now, I put in the, the sermon notes online, you can go see them some other time, right? But there's this carving of this 19th century French artist. His name is Gustave Doré, or something similar to that. Uh, and, and in this image, it's a carving, right? It's a black and white image, and, and the people are, are naked there because they have so, in desperation, ditched their robes because they need to swim in this moment, right? And it's a picture of a mother and a father, and they're pushing their infant child up on the very last rock that's in sight. Uh, and on that rock, it's already occupied by a tiger and her cub. It is awful. I mean, you look at it, and you get this image of what's going on outside the ark, and we don't put that in our children's Bibles. We don't put that in our nurseries, Right? Um, but this is just this realistically captures this watery judgment. Go check it out later today. Um, it, it, it helps there just to get your eyes, your mind around the idea there. So, so that's your really long introduction. Um, it is a long passage we're about to read. Uh, we're going to read it all in one go. I do ask you follow along. It's easier to it's easier to stay focused and not zone out if you're reading along with me uh, silently. Otherwise, I'll get real distracting. Okay. Uh, Genesis nine. Nope. Genesis 6, verse 9. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, Jetheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and outside with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. Its breadth, 50 cubits. And its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it uh, to a cubit above and set the door on the ark on its side. Make it with a lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which... Uh, is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. And I will establish my covenant with you. Or but I will establish my covenant with you. And you shall come into, into the ark, you and your sons, your wife, your sons', sons wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring e two of every sort of, into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Of the birds according to their kinds and of the animals according to their kinds. Of every creeping thing on the ground according to its kind. Two of every sort shall come in, uh, into you and, and keep them alive. And also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that the, 
that God commanded him. And then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and, and, and his mate, and a pair of, of the animals that are not clean, the male and his mate, and seven pairs of the birds of the heavens also, male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of all the earth. For in seven days I will send rain on the earth, forty days and forty nights, and every living thing that I have made I will blot out from the face of the ground. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Noah was six hundred years old when the flood of the waters came upon the earth. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives were with him, went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood, of clean animals and of animals that are not clean, and of birds and of everything that creeps on the ground. Two and two, male and female, went into the ark with Noah, as God had commanded, and commanded Noah. And after seven days, the waters of the flood came upon the earth. In the six hundredth year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the seventh day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of the heavens were opened, and rain fell upon the earth forty days and forty nights. On the very same day, Noah and his sons, Shem and Ham and Jesseph, and Noah, uh, Noah's wife and, <clears throat> and the three wives of his sons with him entered the ark. Uh, they and every beast according to its kind, and all the livestock according to their kind, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth according to its kind, and every bird according to its kind, every winged creature. They went into the ark with Noah, and two, uh, two and two of all flesh, in which there was the breath of life. And those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him. And the Lord shut them in. The flood continued forty days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth. And the ark floated on the face of the waters, and the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heavens were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. And all flesh died that moved on the earth, birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth and all mankind, everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. The grass withers, the flower fades. <clears throat> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we've spent our week listening to news anchors, to Hollywood scripts, co-workers, classmakers, classmates rather. Uh, we've listened to influencers on social media and so many other sources, Lord. This morning, we need to hear from you and your word. We need recalibration of our views of the world that we live in, your world. Recalibration of sin, of our sin, of your grace, of so much. Holy Spirit, please work in me as I seek to preach your word and faithfully. Please work in all of us as we hear, seek to hear and to receive your word in Genesis 6 and 7 this morning. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So remember those ten generational divisions in Genesis we've been talking about? Uh, this two went pretty quick, right? Uh, we're now on to Gen 3, and that begins in verse 9 here. You see it, always marked by that word, generations. These are the generations of Noah. Uh, the next one we won't see until chapter 10, so we'll be here for a little while. Now, the, the first thing that we learn here is about this man named Noah. Uh, a man who, if you remember from a few weeks ago, that his name means rest. And how is, is Noah described here? What's, what's his identifier? Well, what do we see here, right? It, it stri describes him here in three ways. He is one, he is a righteous man. 
Two, he is blameless in this generation. Three, he is uh, the one who walked with God. Now this does not mean that, that Noah is perfect, that he's you know, sinless and perfectly righteous in the sense that Jesus is perfect and, 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 and righteous and, and, and sinless, right? But it, but it does speak to Noah's character. It does. Uh, more than that, though, it, is, it's, it speaks to the foundational aspects of who Noah is, right? These descriptors speak mostly about Noah's relationship to God. You've got your Bible open. You can see it here. It's important that you see in Genesis 6, right, that, that the grace of God actually precedes Noah's de- declaration of righteous here, righteousness. Just, just like verse 8 literally precedes verse 9. Look at verse 8. Noah is a recipient of God's grace. He, he didn't earn it, right? He's found it here. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And, and that, in verse, after that, in verse 9, we are told that, that Noah is a righteous man. We know from the rest of the Scripture that... Uh, uh, that's due to, due to our sinful nature, mine and yours, everyone who's ever been, right, that we cannot become righteous in and of ourselves and our own strength. To put this incredibly simple terms, righteousness comes by faith. What we see here is that Noah believed God. What we see over and over here is that Noah believed God. You remember that famous line that was a stumbling block before it became a launch pad for Martin Luther, Romans 1.17? The righteous shall live by faith, right? It's the, the faith that leads into the righteousness. Or you remember chapter 11 of Hebrews? You probably learned about this if you grew up in the church at all, right? The chapter 11, it's the hall of faith over and over again, right? It, it's this list of biblical men and women who were great examples of seeing faith in someone. In Hebrews eleven seven, we learn about Noah here. Listen to this. It says, by faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Noah believed God. Philippians 3.9 further tells us that we cannot have righteousness of our own that comes from the law, but only righteousness that, and I quote here, which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. However, it is also true that God-given faith, as we see in Noah here, that it is growing into, this, um, into a godly, faith-filled way of life. We actually see it worked out in his life. It's not just a general statement that he maybe signed at some point when he was a kid, right? In other words, Noah didn't just know the right answers to theological questions. He lived out that faith. He lived it out in obedience to God. That's the, the practical righteousness, if you will, that, that true faith grows into, produces that Noah was blameless in his generation here, right? This, this speaks to his, his life being full of integrity in regards to, to fellow, fellow people, right? There's a, a wholeness to his character. He lived what he professed. Uh, as John Calvin famously put it, it is faith alone which justifies, and yet the faith which justifies is not alone. Practically speaking, this leads us to ask ourselves some questions, I think, Am I righteous? Right? Am I righteous? Am I blameless in my generation? What what does my integrity look like? Especially when no one's looking. What does my integrity look like? Do do I earnestly seek out to to live what I profess to believe about God? To live out all that this book teaches me about what is right and wrong? I think that's a hard question to answer. It's hard for us, right, because we know so often it's not what we want to see. 
I, I think it raises the question, too, of I mean, what are we going to do with that? I, yes, resting in the Lord. Yes, leaning on grace. Absolutely. But, but are we going to want to live that out in a way, too? Will we resolve to daily walk with God, to, to seek to be upright and blameless in the midst of your generation? Will, will you draw on the strength of the Holy Spirit as he indwells you? And so this, you know, starting in verse 11, then we, we learn what the world is like at this time that Noah is, is being commended, right? Uh, three times God says it's corrupt, and twice he says it's violent. And you and I might look at our own culture and say, yeah, we know that. That's, that's the world we live in. And yet that's the way you and I might analyze our nation, our, our country, our world, right? And yet here, what's significant, it is God himself that is saying this, who is declaring the world is, is all corrupt and violent. As messed up as our world might seem, I, you know, you, you have to imagine it's even worse at this time. And, and to what, you know, add to that what God observed in verse 5 last week, that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of his thoughts, of his heart, was only evil continually. In our day, people often paint God as, uh, as evil. Well, one of the reasons we do this is we, people point to this flood, Right? Yeah, and it's easy to do. What, what kind of a monster drowns everyone just because they sin? What, what is a little sin, right? What, why didn't God just make them incapable of sin if that's what it is? Or, or why didn't he just show grace to everyone? What's the big deal? Again, God is God. God is holy. And, and since the fall, mankind is by nature sinful. And at this point in the history of redemption, right, at the time in Genesis, right, our, our holy God exercises not injustice with the flood, but true justice. And I know that's hard for us to accept sometimes, right? You see, and until you understand just how horrific sin is against God, until you and I can truly feel the weight of the, the heinousness of sin, right? We're, we're not going to understand God's judgment to sin. It's always going to seem out of proportion until we have a right view of sin. Until you understand, you know, God's judgment here, you're, you're not going to even, you know, is right and just. You're not going to feel the weight of your own sin. You're not going to feel the joy of the gospel when that weight is removed, when you can just rest in the Lord Jesus, it's hard to get our head around this, but when you think about that, that visceral hatred you have for, for someone who does horrible things to children, right? Or whatever the worst sins that you, you know, the ones that really get to you, the way you feel about that, right? To understand that's, that's not the way God feels about you, but it's the way the Lord feels about sin. My, my point is the judgment of God here is right. And yet, in mercy, the Lord goes to Noah and tells him what he's going to do and, and gives a solution to this. You see, God gives a way to survive the flood. God tells him to build an ark. And that's pretty much the only place we use this word, isn't it? Ark, it's a, it's a Hebrew word, and it means boat. Uh, interestingly, the, the word only shows up one other place in Scripture, right? And if you're thinking, aha, the Ark of the Covenant, well, you're wrong. That's a different Hebrew word. The, the only other place that the word Ark actually shows up in Scripture is in Exodus 2.3. Anybody off the top of your head know what's going on in Exodus 2.3? It's for bonus points, super holy points. Just kidding, you don't have to shout it out. Right? Uh, what's going on there is that uh, Moses' mother is placing three-month-old Moses in, and as it's translated in our ESV here, he's placing him into a basket. But in the Hebrew, it's the exact same word here, right? He's placing... She's placing Moses into an ark. That, that ark too, right, is also a means of saving the one who's inside, Moses, from certain death. And, and so then the Lord gives 
you know, fairly detailed from this point on, and, and instructions for, here's how you build this gigantic boat, you know, starting in verse 14, and it's all kind of daunting, I would think. I don't build real well. Um, so, in, in terms, you know, that only we Americans can understand, the, the ark was 450 feet long, and if you're like, still don't understand that either, right? It's, it's the length of an entire football field, but then take another half of a football field and attach it on there, and now you're getting to the length of the whole thing. Uh, 75 feet wide, it's four stories tall. You can go outside and look at four stories on the, the Harry building out there to get an idea. Uh, or you can, you know, one-up it and you can actually go visit a life-size replica of this ark that's in Williamstown, Kentucky, uh, which is kind of near Cincinnati, Ohio. It gets confusing, but they're close to each other. Uh, that ark there was finished in 2016 and it took a thousand people using modern building methods, all the tools that we have at our, our, our ability today, and it took them a, a, a year and a half to construct it that way, which really explains why most people believe that it took Moses and his family over a hundred years to build the ark, which doesn't, not so weird when you think about how long they were living at the time, right? But uh, over a hundred years, talk about a long obedience in the same direction. Now, can you imagine the mockery that Noah and his family have received over the years as they're building this ridiculous boat, right? Probably hundreds and hundreds of miles away from, from the ocean, just a boat. It'd be like if you didn't know what was going on and you visited the replica out there in Kentucky, right? Uh, can you imagine, though, the neighbors talking about him? Did you see crazy Noah? He's still building that big, dumb boat, right? And to them, it was absolutely crazy. Now, some of you are old enough to remember when the world was going to end because of the Y2K bug, right? <clears throat> Right? Computer dates, if you don't know, young people, you, just, you don't even get to live through these great things. Computer dates had two dates for the year instead of the four dates that's necessary when you're going to roll over a 1999, right? Uh, and so there are people that were predicting that on midnight, New Year's Eve, 1999, computers were just going to malfunction. You weren't going to be able to get your money from the bank. Nuclear power plants maybe were going to melt down. The electrical grid was going to collapse. Planes might just be falling from the sky. You know, these were the things that we thought of and about the mid-90s were going to be happening there, happening at that time. And we had this, this family friend of ours uh, <clears throat> who bought property, built this underground shelter and stocked it with years and years worth of food and supplies. And, and many of you probably know similar stories to that, right? And they, they, they became to be known as these, the Y2K preppers, and, and many people thought they were crazy, were nuts. I'll admit, I thought they were nuts. Um, and as you probably surmise, right, the prepping turned out to be completely unnecessary. But I, I can remember, Laura and I were at a celebration in downtown Houston, and I can remember as those 10 seconds were counting down, thinking, man, what if they were right? What are we doing here? Right? And just thinking, okay, they're sitting in their bunker waiting for the worst right now, uh, the worst that never actually shows up. And I felt so vindicated in that moment. And I, I can't help but think, right, that's got to be how some of these people felt when the rain came and it didn't stop falling, it just kept coming at, at the time of Noah. Right? For so many years they thought, oh, Noah is just nuts. What is he doing? There's a big difference here though, right? Everyone that was prepping here was going off of whatever information they thought they had. But, but for Noah, Noah is responding to clear instruction given by God. Here is how you survive the flood. Our opinions about the world and how to survive all kinds of crazy things are very different than when God has given us explicit instructions in his word for what that looks like. And so Noah, at the time, had to day by day, year by year, he had to continue to walk in faith, he had to continue to believe God, to obey God, despite all the mockery, despite all the stuff when he's looking, you know what, this does look crazy. It's a big boat. I don't have a trailer, right? All that kind of stuff. 
Now, now Noah's ordinarily, ordinary daily faithfulness to God's call made him a light in the midst of a great darkness. You and I are also called to be lights in the world. Philippians 2.15 tells you and I, be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Listen, you might be mocked for your biblical ethics. In fact, the more you live them out, the more you speak about Jesus, the more you talk about Jesus, the more people are probably going to mock you, if not to your face, certainly behind your back. For seeing things like believing Jesus rose from the dead, expect to be mocked. That Jesus is going to return someday miraculously, triumphantly, right? To bring judgment, you're going to be mocked for that. Just like Noah was seen here as being crazy. You might be weird and seen as crazy, and that's okay. That's okay, right? But better to be mocked and in the safety of the ark when the flood comes than to fit in and have no hope at the coming judgment. Now look at the end of verse 17. God again declares, everything that is on the earth shall die. But this is one of those important buts right here uh, in Scripture, right? But I will establish my covenant with you. This is actually the first instance of this incredible Hebrew word, bereath, right? Meaning covenant, this God-ordained promise, a God-sustained relationship with his people. And we're going to go into it in greater detail in, in chapter 9 when it gets explained more. But for now, I just want you to see one thing here, and that's that God is active and Noah is passive here. Noah receives it. God is the one that establishes it. And this is going to be true of the new covenant as well, right? Even, even in Ephesians 2.8 we see this, right? For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God. Now chapter 6 ends with just a bunch of general instruction regarding the animals and the supplies, right? And their kind, and their kind, and their kind, and their kind. It's the thing you, you know, if you zoned out at all during the reading, that was probably the moment. Now, uh, chapter 7 then begins with the ark finished and, and loading beginning, and then people sometimes wonder, uh, how did Noah actually find these animals? Because if I sent you out right now and say, like, just go get me two raccoons, a uh, guy and a girl raccoon, I don't know that many of you'd come back, not with a live one, right? <clears throat> Some roadkill. I know Caleb would somehow get one of them at least, but, but you know, that's not an easy thing to do. How are you going to get all these things? And uh, you know, but look at this. Look at the sovereignty of God work. It didn't say, Noah, go find these animals and bring them back, right? It's more of a, if you build it, they will come. And, and look at verse 9. The animals just showed up and they entered the ark. That's, that's how this happened. Now, if you're wondering why, why the seven pair of these clean animals in Genesis 7-2, that'll make more sense later on. Noah's going to uh, use them for something when they first get off the ark. So just, that's kind of a preview uh, there. But verse 4 then records the last words of the Lord to Noah before the flood. Uh, again, confirming these unfathomable judgment that is about to occur outside of the ark. Uh, in in 7.5, we, we see something of great significance regarding Noah. Look again. Uh, and Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. And we saw almost the same thing when we were reading. You notice it in 6.22, Noah did this. He did all that the Lord commanded him. You see, the grace of God produces obedience even in the most difficult of situations. In, in other words, the, the righteous person... And by that, I mean the man, woman, or child who is trusting in Jesus, right? In, in the gospel, by grace through faith, the righteous person, though, rests everything uh, on the wonderful word of God, what we are learning here. And we seek to obey it. At least that is our, our desire, right? The, an honest and earnest aim to obey it. Now, starting in verse 10, chapter 7, right? The waters begin to flow. Verse 11 mentions 
Noah's age, and you're like, why mention his age? We don't know anything about this. The whole point of mentioning the age here is Noah is a real person. It's not just a made-up story here. This is real history. And notice it doesn't use the word rain until verse 12, right? But in verse 11, uh, we, we read this from Moses. All the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of the heavens were opened. Now some believe that's a picture of water gushing forth outside of the crust of the earth, uh, as well as coming down from the sky. Uh, uh, and, and I know all this water leaves us all sorts of questions again, right, that we don't have good answers for. Where is all this water now, right? Where is it? Is it frozen in the polar regions? Is it deep under the, surf, you know, the surface of the earth somewhere hidden away? Did God just miraculously create it and then make it disappear? I mean, all of those could be true. I don't know. But I do know they find shark teeth in western Europe, you know, Kansas, and there's not a beach for a thousand miles out there. I don't know if that's from this. I, I don't know, right? But, but <clears throat> you know, you're not going to have answers to that. Now, now, through verses 17, 18, 19, 20, right, for, for 40 days the waters prevail, right? That means they, grow, they, they rise. The waters rise above even the mountains here. And, and these 40 days are the first of seven sets of 40 days recorded in Scripture, if you like those weird number things you see, right? Uh, and every time we see these 40 days, it indicates this time of trial and testing. Uh, the other six, because I know you're probably curious right now what they are, right, is Moses fasting for 40 days on Mount Sinai before entering God's presence. That's two. Um, the 40 days that the Israelite spies spent doing the reconnaissance mission in the promised land. Uh, Goliath taunting Israel for 40 days before David dropped him with a single stone. The stone, uh, the 40-day warning Jonah reluctantly delivered to Nineveh, the Jesus 40 days in the wilderness when Satan tempted him, and finally there were 40 days between the resurrection of our Lord and when he actually ascends to the Father's right hand. Now, in the final verses, we learn the truly catastrophic results of all this, right? And it's hard to think through both of them, because on the one hand, you, you picture there's Noah and his family on a nice Disney cruise floating around up there in the sunshine, uh, but that didn't paint the whole picture as we've already talked about. Uh, it's, it, it's in a sense a complete reversal of creation here. And that's going to make sense when we start to see the recreation as they come out of the ark later, right? In, in verse 21, the, the creatures are even listed in the same order that they were created in. Only now they're, they're being destroyed or are destroyed. Now outside of the ark, every single living man, woman, and child and creature is dead. You, you can feel the weight of this reality just in that one verse, verse 23 there, where Moses says this. He says, only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. The rest of the world is death. What, what a strange and terrifying realization that must have been for them. I mean, you know, we don't handle the, the death of anyone we know or love well. But can you imagine waking up tomorrow and realizing everyone outside of your house is dead? The chapter ends by telling us the waters remain for 150 days. So, so let me ask you this, right? Do you believe this horrifying story of judgment? Do, do you believe the story of God's mercy, of, of recreation, as we're going to be seeing in the, in the next few weeks? And I ask you seriously, do, do you believe it? Did, did this flood really happen in history? And I, I ask, right, because if you do, it means you believe that God is awesome in his sovereign power. Right? Psalm 135, 6, whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth and the seas and all the deeps. It means you can believe that God can do things that we mostly consider impossible. No, that we overwhelmingly, completely consider impossible. 
If you believe this, it means you have some understanding of how evil our sin is. Even if it makes you uncomfortable, right? It means you understand that, that God's wrath in this situation is just. And that His wrath in a future judgment is just too. And to that point, there is a parallel to God's judgment in the flood and, and God's judgment at the end of the age, right? We, we are living in a time right now of, of warning. This is, you know, the time when the ark is being built, if you will, right? We are, you know, but the judgment is a certain reality that is coming and at a time that you and I don't know. In fact, your own death may come sooner than you imagine. I know that's kind of dark, right? But that's reality. And as, as Jesus said in Matthew 24, 36, Concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. He's talking about his second coming, right? For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving and marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Right? It's not going to have the warnings in the sense that we think. It's not going to be like, it just comes quick. Now, now is the time then to confess, to repent, to turn to Jesus, because only those who enter the true ark through the redeeming blood of Christ will be saved. And so I'll ask you, are you, are you willing to believe this? Are you willing to inform your, your friends, your family? Because I know that's hard to do. Because again, we sound crazy. We do. But are you willing to, to speak of the coming judgments, right? And of the ark of salvation that is Jesus Christ. I don't mean this in some like repent and believe right now kind of go yell at your friends thing. I just mean are you willing to have the conversation and ask questions? To get them thinking about it. Now today while there is breath in your lungs, the, the door is still open. You see, Noah's name means rest, but, but it is Jesus who can give you true rest. As our Lord says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I think it's a, a question to ask ourselves. Are, are you on this boat? Maybe further, are you living by faith? Are you, are you really? And I think it's a hard question, right? I, I'm not suggesting one way or another, but does your faith look like Noah's at all? I don't even mean to the degree of Noah's, right? But, but we think about Noah at the most basic level. Noah believed God. So the simple question we've got to answer is, do you believe God? Do you really believe God? Do you believe everything He has to say in, in His Word for you? Do you believe this, this judgment of the Lord that the wrath will come? Do you believe that there's grace and mercy in the Lord Jesus for you? Do you, do you really? And I'll, I'll say this, regardless of where you're at on this right now, I know there's some degrees of this in some regard, right? But, it, but thinking about this, just to remember this, that you, you can. In the same way the Lord invited Noah and his family, he invites you. The, the door is open. And we're going to end it right there. Now it's a little weird ending, but that's it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your judgment on the inhabitants of the earth in those days is unfathomable to us. Lord, do what only you can do. Help us to see it rightly, to call justice, justice. Help us also to, also to see your great love for humanity. 
for your people by, by sustaining Noah and his family through this flood upon that big wooden ark. Thank you for preserving your people in every generation. Thank you for preserving us today. And, and please, make us to know that Christ really is returning. God, make that real to us. And, and, and after that, Lord, that, that there will be judgment. And, and so, please, Holy Spirit, give us faith or strengthen our faith. May the cross of Christ our Lord be an ark to us and it carries us into eternity. And Father, help us to see this story rightly of your holiness, your righteous wrath, and yet your incredible mercy, your kindness, your grace, your love for us. That you did not leave humanity to, to end in the, in the flood. And that your grace continues on through Christ, through the church. Father, may we, may we find great joy in knowing that our sins are forgiven. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.